Join us at our annual conferences in London, Florida and Sydney to learn everything you need to know about ITAM in the cloud era. For more details, head to itassetmanagement.net forward slash events. Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM, SAM and software licensing professionals. Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast. My name is Martin Thompson from the ITAM Review. Uh, today on the podcast, I'm very welcome, uh, very pleased to welcome uh, Danny Begg. Uh, Danny uh, is a long-term supporter and contributor towards the ITAM Review and the Campaign for the Licensing. Very much uh, my go-to guy uh, helping with the ITAM Review. So welcome, Danny, and very much welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Martin. So for the, for the benefit of people that don't know you, could you... Um, where do you currently work at the moment and, and what's your role? So I currently work for Sainsbury's Argos, the Argos arm of the Sainsbury's group. Uh, and I've been here for about two and a half years so far. Okay. Um, been and before we before we dig into your current role, could we, I'd love to go backwards and look at how did you first get into IT in the first place? Never mind um sam and, and itam but how did you actually get into it in the first place where did you start out um so i started up when i was up in aberdeen uh when i was about 20 i went to university and i did uh i started to do a degree in mechanical and offshore engineering um but tell you what after about a year i basically hated the subject um didn't really enjoy what i was doing and decided well i could continue on and get a degree um, or I could drop out and start to do something much more interesting to me. Uh, now at that time, I was very interested in computers and how they worked and what we did with them. Um, so I went around and knocked on doors um, in the local area until a local IT firm took me on. And that's where I basically started. Uh, from there, I kind of spent about 10 years um, um, up in Aberdeen and then down at um, in London, uh, working for a number of companies, um, basically doing solutioning, um, project management, uh, and various different things all around the IT space. Uh, some of the biggest things I've done is an 80,000 seat rollout for one of the main banks in the UK, um, as well as you know, uh, projects for schools and colleges and, um, and uh, even government branches as well. So if when you're in Aberdeen, and you're doing oil and gas stuff. Presumably, what was the outcome of that? If you'd done that degree, you end up on an oil rig or something doing that. Yeah, probably, probably on an oil rig. Right. Yeah. Um, deciding what piping went where and um, deciding how to build the oil rigs and stuff like that. You know, probably so what, would have been what, what, what turned you off that then? What, what, why wasn't it what you expected? Um, I enjoyed the mathematics part of it. I just didn't think it was taking me in the direction I was really wanting to enjoy. I mean, it's like anything else in life, you should really be doing a job that you enjoy doing and look forward to going to work to each day. And I started just resenting going to university. So I just realized that basically university wasn't for me and you know maybe I should go and do something that was a bit more interesting for me. Um, and that's why I went originally into IT. And, yeah. 
So what was your first, you said you went knocking on doors. Um, what was yep. your first uh, IT role and what were you doing? So basically I was just a, a build engineer, just building computers, putting them together, yeah, um, putting operating systems on them and then sending them out to customers, doing some small support for some of the oil companies within Aberdeen. Uh, and that's basically what this small consultancy firm of around about 20 or 30 people did. So I was on the lowest rung and just made my way up from there. Right. And I I see in your uh, LinkedIn history that you, uh, you've you got a bit of a service management background. So you you went from building PCs and almost like a system, system admin type role. And then you how did you get into those sort of service delivery or service management type things? So from that, I went into kind of like a, a systems engineer and then a senior systems engineer and just worked my way up where I was putting in solutions that architects would create. From there, I kind of then went into technical project management. So I was then taking over some of the project management roles on a, a technical level and design level uh, for places like um, T-Mobile and putting in their new buildings, etc. From there, I kind of then progressed into doing sort of a bit more like a business analyst roles, um, all with the same types of companies, just kind of moving my way up the ladder, um, kind of moving from side to side as well, you know, still staying, staying, staying very technical, but also building up my business acumen in various areas. Um, I did a technical project management role, except for a large bank. Uh, that's the bit that really started to introduce me into SAM in a way. Uh, we had to in, ensure that all of, we recorded all of the software that we were taking from people's machines when we were upgrading them and ensuring they had it on their new machines and that the bank had relevant licenses for them. And we did that in an Excel spreadsheet, which was hell on earth. Uh, and I also, and at that time, I thought there must be an easier and a better way to do this. Uh, but it wasn't really until about a year and a half later when I decided to move job roles from, um, you know, to, um, that I ended up looking for a job in the actual SAM space. So. And how did that how did that come about? What was your first SAM role? So my first SAM role was actually with um, a firm over in Harpenden. Um, stayed there for about two and a half years uh, before moving into my current role at Sainsbury's Argos. And in that role, um, I ended up doing the service delivery pieces as well as doing some of the technical delivery uh, along with a technical team. And I also got into doing some of the you know, typical SAM uh, you know, licensing as well. Um, so you know, that gave me a good grounding in everything I wanted. From that point is when I actually start to think is there was more to SAM and more things that could be done. So one of the reasons why I ended up leaving that business was purely I wanted to go in onto a greenfield site um, and actually implement what I thought SAM should be like and the things that I think it should be doing, um, which is when you know I started to work a lot more with the ITAM review at that point and actually putting across some of the things that I think we should be doing um, as, as a community of professionals. So what what was the role at um, HRG? Was that um, how did you actually come across that? Were you headhunted, or would you put your CV forward, or how how did how did that work? 
Um, it was actually a couple of people from uh, inside the industry who told me that the role was open and encouraged me to go for it. So um, it was between HRG and another company that I, I went and had an interview at, and I chose HRG to move forward with. Cool. And um, I'm not sure how much you would be able to disclose on a podcast, but for those of you that, you know, from maybe outside the UK, Home Retail Group uh, owns uh, Argos, which is, uh, what, top five retailer in the UK, something like that? Yep. I'm guessing. Second largest Second online largest. retailer. Um, and Sainsbury's, which you've since acquired or merged with, or they bought you, or however it works, uh, is uh, top four supermarket chain, something like that, I'm guessing. Yeah, I think the, the second largest supermarket chain next to um, uh, Tesco's. Right, so it's a, it's a enormous enormous estate, and I'm looking at your um your profile on LinkedIn, and the the bullet points are um all mention millions <laughs> that you've that you saved and huge percentages from your SAP contract and all of these bits and pieces. So so what in in a nutshell, what is your approach to Sam? And if somebody was going on into a role like this from new, where do you start? So, it's a, it's a lovely question. <laughs> so, <laughs> to me, Sam is about building value for the business and it should be done based upon events. So a lot of people look at doing compliance. I actually think compliance falls out of everything else you do with, on a day-to-day -day business as part of Sam. And actually you can be sucked into looking at compliance and whether um, two figures match um, and not actually understand at a high level what it is that you're trying to achieve. Um, I spoke about this to someone else only a couple of days ago in that, uh, and in fact it was a, a charity I was doing some work for to help them out. Um, and one of the ways I kind of explain it is, you know, if you've got two figures where it looks like you're over-licensed, is that a bad or a good thing? Well, it's neither, you know. If you're over-licensed, that could be your business wanting to purchase more licenses because it could get a better deal because its roadmap is to use more of that software, at which point that's actually a good thing. Or it could be a bad thing because you're getting rid of the software and you're, someone's continuously buying licenses. Um, if you look at under-licensing, well, is that a good or a bad thing? Well, in theory, you should be purchasing licenses for all the software you're using. But if you actually take that into a business context, is, you know, if your business is looking at getting rid of that software and you're only a small percentage over, um, then what you should be doing is looking at aligning it um, and saying to yourself is, if I'm reducing the software, then actually I shouldn't be buying any more software. I should just be letting it naturally um, peter out. And when it then comes to software that looks like it's the same, I, you've got 50 installs and you've got 50 licenses, well, is that a good or a bad thing? Well, again, it depends on what you're doing with the software. If you're getting rid of it, then you know, it's neither good or bad, or if you're installing more, maybe you should have purchased more to start off with and gotten a better deal. So. I think more of these things have to actually be based upon what you actually want to do with the business. So when I say you do it as part of uh, an event driven, that event can be um, purchasing, it could be an audit, it could be um, a renewal, um, or it could be something else. But 
the event should be telling you what you should be looking at and what things that you should be concentrating on, not looking at whether a figure matches or not. Well, sorry, just just by means of an example, um, just to prove your point about over over licensing, um, I was buying. I went in to buy. We were in the service station on the way back from a family trip yesterday. Went in to buy three sausage rolls, and the guy said it's actually cheap to buy four. Um, so you end up with a spare sausage roll, which is wastage and everything, but it means you get a cheaper price. It's just a very simple example of, you know, over over licensing is not always a bad thing. Um, you, you mentioned um, event led uh, SAM rather than compliance. What what do you mean by that? So whether you come onto a new greenfield site or whether you're in an, an existing company, event-driven stuff is where you either are purchasing new software or purchasing new licenses, or you are in an audit, or you are doing a renewal, um, or other events that require you to get a position of where you are. So understanding your position in order to help you make a better decision rather than doing it on a day-to-day -day basis. That's what I mean by event-driven, Sam. So where would you start, if you went into a purely greenfield site, where would you start, um, if you if you started a contract or a job tomorrow, what data sources or, or who do you speak to to work out what those events are? So to me, the events are always the same. Um, within each organization. You know, every organization is going to be doing purchases. Every organization at some point is going to be audited and probably multiple times per year. Uh, every organization is going to have its renewals. So the first thing yeah. I did when I, I came into this organization is I put a few simple things in place in order to start getting control so that I could understand what was happening with the estate, such as changing the purchasing so that all purchasing of software had to go through the software asset management team in order so that we at least had a handle or an understanding of what things were looking at being purchased. So, and that's still true now. So no one in this organization can purchase any software without us knowing about it and us authorizing it. Now we're not there to stop them. We say yes to everything, uh, but it's there about us being able to capture that information and know it. Once you know what's being purchased, then that's your first event when they then want to look to purchase some more you can either then look at your compliance at that point and say well actually we have enough licenses or actually we're going to buy more licenses or you can say we're going to cover off some of our shortfall uh, or you can say what's your roadmap are you going to buy more of these in the future when are they likely to buy more so if they say to you well i want to buy 10 now but i might buy 15 uh, in two months time and then it's probably going to need another 10 six months after that, then it may be worth just bundling all of that together and actually buying all of those at once. So that's what we did to start off with. Uh, we also then mapped out all of our renewals in the calendar that we knew when our renewal dates were, when our termination dates were for those renewals, so that we could work 30 days prior to the termination date in order so that we could determine whether we were going to keep our maintenance or remove our maintenance or whether we were actually going to reduce our maintenance down to whatever level we deemed is what's required and sometimes that's that's a good thing and a bad thing so when i look at uh, if i was to look at a particular product and we were only using 80 even though we had licenses for 100 you may want to move your uh, maintenance down to 80 licenses 
Um, but if your roadmap is that you are going to eventually get to 100, then you may just want to continue on renewing at 100. Now that means that budgetary-wise, you know, you're not making any savings, uh, but at least you know and you're reacting to the way the business wants to run in future. So that sorts out your renewals and your purchases. Your audits, you're always going to get them. Uh, now people always say as well, if you have all the information, you know you're compliant and you've got all the stuff up front, then the audits are simple anyhow. Well, they are, but you're doing an awful lot of legwork, um, I think, at times, to, to kind of find out what you are when the audit comes in. But when an audit comes in, you still have plenty of time to still find out what your position is and everything else, and actually resolve half your problems. So, yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of to and froing with the proactivity on audit events. Um, having a base understanding of where you are and your comfort level and your risk level. Uh, and having that accepted by the business, it's probably about as far as I would take it. So I'd love to so. pick your brains on something you just mentioned about centralizing purchasing, because there's this argument that says um, more and more spend of IT going outside the IT department. And, and one of the sort of most common ones is marketing. So the CMO will have a bigger and bigger spend on IT uh, and he might be doing that or she might be doing that herself outside the IT department, buying SaaS applications and stuff. And there's um, I'm reading something about from Snow the other day saying about they, they're talking about this disruption gap between IT and the rest of the company in terms of spend. What's your view on that? Are you, are you seeing more spend outside of IT and how do you, how do you get your hands around that? So I completely agree with those statements. Is Our business, um, it has a decentralized purchasing. So in IT, everything in IT will go through us, but also through the business. So what we do is we say to the business is we're here to act as a conduit to enable your business to do what it needs to do in a way that mitigates the risk to the business as well. So when I talk to the marketing department, I don't tell them that they can't have a piece of software. I then enable them to say was, well, actually, is that the best metric you require for the software in order for you to get the best value out of that software? Um, when you're putting together the contract, well, let's remove the audit clause or let's remove some of the things in here that will cause you additional effort and pain in the future for no additional benefit to you as a business. As well as saying is all purchasing for that should go through us so that we can enable you to get the best price. It's your budget, how you spend it is still up to you. We're just here to provide a service to you. So although the IT teams will not get involved and the IT commercial teams and IT purchasing teams won't get involved, other as a team still have a, a, a role to play to the business in order to deliver, that the business can deliver value. Right, so that's interesting. So, so you're, that you're, is how we help it. You've almost got a broader coverage than the IT department then, haven't you? you you're covering everything. Yeah, so I cover the whole business. So although I sit within the IT department's commercial team and I look at um, delivering out to the IT team, I also ensure that I deliver out to the rest of the business and that the business knows through internal communications what it is I'm there to do and how I am to help them. So I speak to a lot of the directors within the rest of the business to tell them that this is the way that we should be working together and these are the reports I require in order to help you deliver you what you need for your business. Yeah. And how does, I noticed that you're on your LinkedIn profile, you said you're the chair of the software advisory board. How does, how does that sit versus 
what the company wants? Who who is on that board? So on that board is mainly um, um, IT um, leadership team. So uh, we I report to the CFO as part of that, um, the CTO, um, the, the director for development. Um, and then the rest of the people on that team tend to be people such as the head of infrastructure, um, some other uh, IT finance people as well. Now, the reason why we don't have other members of the business is that we don't want to make it unwieldy and ungainly. But what we say to the business is that IT is there to deliver for you. So you feedback through um, the development team, the development director and the CTO, what it is that you as a business are wanting to do. And then we report back out to you what it is that we're there or how it is that we are actually then providing that to you. Right. So out of each of, the, out of each of these advisory meetings, it's for the business to say, this is the direction we are going. And then it is as up to us as a town team to enable them to get there by saying, well, this is the software that can do it. Uh, this is the software and this is the way that it can be met. The metrics are for it. These are the, uh, the best metrics for you as a business. Um, and these are the things that you should be engaging to help you negotiate it. Right. Um, and you are coming back to our um, conference this year. So thank you very much for that. Before we go on, to, before we go on to exactly what you're going to be doing at the conference, I'd love to just share with our listeners your attitude to why you're sharing. You are somebody that does put their head above the parapet and is looking to change the industry for the, for the better. Why? Why bother? What can you just share with people why you do that? Um, so I'm, I'm really quite passionate about what we do as software as managers, but I also think that we. We're kind of insular. We don't really tell people what it is we do. It's like people who are afraid to tell other people that they're in orbit, as if that's a bad thing. Yeah, actually, if you think about the industry, you think about business as a whole, if everyone goes through audit. In fact, you, you audit yourselves internally anyhow. So since there's this constant auditing going on, either by uh, external vendors or whether it's your financial audits or whether it's your internal audits, we shouldn't be afraid to actually say, yes, we've got an audit by, you know, say SAP, which we do, and um, we've got an audit by uh, a number of other businesses. But, but I'm, I'm normally, if anyone asks me, quite happy to tell them who we're being audited by. And why? Because it doesn't really make any difference. Because if I get audited by them, so will you. So, but knowing about it and what things that they are kind of coming at you with allows us as a, as a profession to um, arm ourselves with our, the best defense possible. So if you already know that three, they've tried this um, particular angle with three other people, then you actually know how to actually push that yourself. So I'm very advocate and saying to people is we just need to be a lot more open with it. So I just, yeah, I'm just quite happy to to kind of give as much information as I can, as well as you know, as well as actually helping people in these areas and. People do contact me from time to time asking my advice in different areas, and I'm quite willing to give them any information they want. And speaking of which, you can find uh, Danny on LinkedIn under Daniel Begg, Daniel B-E-G. Um, so, Danny, what what are you covering at the conference? You very kindly come, you you, you very kindly uh, put forward a, a, a subject. Can you describe what you're going to be covering? So yeah, so this year, um, I mean, last year I talked a lot, a lot about audits uh, and the way that businesses should react to audits. And coming at it from a customer point of view rather than from a vendor or from 
uh, a consultancy firm's point of view. Uh, this year, because of the way that people or the vendors are kind of acting uh, nowadays, what I want to do is share some of those experiences that I have with the vendors, and they're not good experiences, a lot of them. Um, yeah, I mean, we have good relationships with some of our vendors, and some of our vendors we don't have great relationships with. But it's some of the, the actions and the things that I see vendors doing and I've experienced that I want to share with people to say, these are the bad practices. These are the things that I'm seeing people doing. And please, yeah, tell me what they are doing to you so that this information gets out there and, yeah, and arms at all the rest of us. So after all, the, we all know that the uh, vendors talk to each other and the audit firms talk to each other. Uh, whether it's off the record or on the record. So we need to be uh, equally collaborative, don't we? For, for sure. Yeah, the more that we talk to each other, the more that we actually act um, like a professional body, you know, um, like the you know, doctors and everyone else, like, the more we, that we act in this type of manner, the more enabled we are as a group of professionals. Um, and the more armed we are as a group of professionals and the more value we can actually deliver back to our businesses. And, and that's the, the main reason why we're there in our businesses. Danny from HRG, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, we look forward to seeing your session at conference in the UK in June. Thank you very much for joining the podcast. We look forward to seeing you soon. Join us at our annual conferences in London, Florida and Sydney to learn everything you need to know about ITAM in the cloud era. For more details, head to itassetmanagement.net forward slash events.